I'm Alexandra Joe, Culture and Content Manager at Parting Stone, and this is the Death Care Decoded Podcast. In this podcast, we explore trends in the death profession, uncovering valuable insights through conversations with industry thought leaders. Our mission is to bring forward-thinking education to death care professionals. This week, we return to our conversation with Maggie McMillan, Vice President of the Weifels Group of Companies and All Caring, to talk about current trends in death care and moving the death care space forward. We talk about the capacity limitations that have been highlighted during the COVID-19 pandemic, transforming the aesthetic appeal of funeral homes to help make millennial death planners more comfortable, and new ways to support the mental health of both death care professionals and grieving families. You're jumping into a conversation with myself, Justin Crow, founder and CEO at Parting Stone, and Maggie McMillan. I'm excited about this next set of questions because it's always kind of a favorite topic of mine, of uh, which is like, what is the future of this space look like? Where are we headed? Um, what are the trends? And yeah, I, I, I mean, I've been thinking about this a lot, and I think I've been thinking more about what the death care industry is facing and some of the challenges the industry faces and some of the problems the industry faces. I've been thinking about this more going into the conferences because it's the first time in, you know, two years that I'm going to be back in a room having one-on-one conversations with a lot of these spot leaders in this space, which is, which I love that part of my job. Um, and so, yeah, I guess I just want to open, um, with a question to you of what, what do you see as, as some of the challenges um, that this industry is going to face over the next 10 years? Well, I think the first immediate challenge is capacity. And luckily or unluckily, we got a test run of that with COVID. I think almost in every market, I could be wrong. Again, you might get hate mail there. But I think most markets in the U.S. were were maxed out capacity-wise and system-wise. So I think it's just sort of undeniable as we hit this huge population of people kind of aging into death, that that those are going to be problems. Um, I think from a, a service standpoint in death care, that kind of both and thing is going to be really challenging. So there's sort of this bifurcating model of hyper-localized, hyper-individual, um, you know, meeting people where they are versus... Uh, sort of the blanket lower cost options that families want. I think both are really important. And I think understanding both is challenging. So for companies to succeed, I think getting, getting their minds around both those options is going to be really important. Yeah. And so let's, let's dig into those. Maybe we'll start with the capacity question. And I guess my first question is what is going to cause the pushing of capacity boundaries and what might the solution be to that challenge that a lot of these funeral homes are going to face? I mean, had you asked me this question two years ago, I would have said that we're going to have a gradual increase in deaths as baby boomers get older. I don't think anyone predicted that a pandemic was possible. So perhaps another pandemic. Um, (laughs) But I do think either way, as you have this like huge proportion of population sort of aging into death, um, some being older, some being younger, that's just a lot of people that are going to have to be handled by funeral homes. So I'm talking things like, you know, coolers, crematories, um, creative burial methods, ways to handle that influx of, of people who passed away. 
Yeah, I, I kind of always talk about how I think the death the death care industry is one of the most fortunate industries in the sense that it gets to see all the trends happen about 10 years before it affects the industry. And with this pandemic, we got a real taste of what those capacity problems could look like, whether it's another pandemic or when the baby boomers start to pass away quickly. It's also really generous that you gave us only 10 years because I think, you know, sometimes at my worst when I'm like the most vulnerable, I'm very worried that we're sort of borders in 2002, you know, like we're selling these books, we have all these stores. So that's 20 years behind. So thank you for giving us just a decade. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's an interesting question though about like, I've never been into a funeral home that I want to plan my parents' funeral in. And I've been to a lot of funeral homes working in this in this space. Um, and I think and that's a problem because I know I'm not the only millennial who feels that way. Is can I ask you, is part of that because you anticipate that your parents' funeral services, whatever those look like, will be in the outdoors at a specific location? Or are there buildings that you've been into before at your doctor's office? Like I don't know what that what that is, but that you go wow, this is a really cool space. I could consider having a funeral here. That's a great question. I think the thing that I've focused on is just like this, this, the environment of a funeral home where it's like mostly carpeted and there's like a receptionist sitting at the, the little desk in front and they're like these little rooms and there's like, Dark wood. Dark wood. Dark wood. It's a dark wood the, desk. The scent in the room of the vacuum cleaner that emit, <laughs> that emits the fresh scent as you vacuum, uh, and the person in the in the dark suit. There is no point in my life where I want that experience, and there is no point in my life where I currently have that experience. Not even in a doctor's office. You know, not not anywhere. And and I don't. And and I'm not going to want it all of a sudden my mom's dies and I'm, I'm not going to like all of a sudden want that treatment. You know, I want to go somewhere comfortable to, and talk to somebody who I can relate to and somebody who I trust. And honestly, like maybe somebody with a, a mental health background, but I don't know. I, I, my personal opinion is that over the next, I'm going to give it a long way over the next 50 years, death care is going to go through a major rebrand. And it's going to look like Starbucks. <laughs> well, I mean, hopefully not. <laughs> but I, I think it kind of has to, right? I mean, I've done so <laughs> much research on millennial death planners, what millennial consumers are looking for, what millennial buyers are looking for and interested in. And it's not the crown molding and like the faux fancy kind of nouveau Victorian <laughs> kind of like aesthetic that all the funeral... <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of adjectives. <laughs> I'm trying to. I can tell that you here. are a good writer. <laughs> but I'm with you. I actually know the room that you're talking right? about. <laughs> right. It's the only funeral home I've ever been in. And granted, they're—I mean—they're all in the South, so I'm not trying to say that every single one exi- that exists is like that. But that's my experience, and. That's not what younger generations of people who make purchases, especially emotionally invested purchases, 
are looking for aesthetic matters to them quality matters to them you know different things like that they they need to feel comfortable so i i think it has to make a big shift you know up in even gen x to a certain extent is is kind of part of this shift as people a little older than me are starting to plan funerals for their parents there's more of an interest in quality over flash you know like long-term investment and like minimal design over like a lot of decorative things carding stones perhaps well (laughs) yeah (laughs) and um, so I think there has to be a shift if we're gonna be truly serving and satisfying those death planners you know we don't want a whole generation of death planners to go walk away from our businesses feeling completely unsatisfied and unseen and like they just had to default to a business that didn't serve their needs i think that you guys are both right in that the industry does need to shift and does need to respond and my hope is that we we show up better than we showed up for sort of the cremation trend of the 1980s and 1990s um tbd again talk to me in 20 years I do think we have to keep in mind, so the three of us are relatively young. The three of us are relatively, um, I would say, interested in design, interested in sort of bringing meaning to experience. There are still a lot of people that we serve in our markets where that traditional experience is actually important and healing for them. And so sure, one of the worst things we could do is to discount that, right? Um, but also we've, that's where it becomes that sort of both and thing. Like we've got to spread, we've got to take the dark wood out. We've got to get sunlight in. We've got to make sure that for the people who that very traditional experience is important and healing, we can provide that. And we can, we've been doing it for years and years, but we also have to catch up on that sort of, I guess what I would call more modern form of death care where we are focusing on mental health. We are focusing on, you know, who's bringing you a meal tomorrow. Um, you know, are we going to take a piece of, uh, I don't know, the cremated remains and make something special out of it? Perhaps a parting stone. Um, <laughs> what does that mean for you? How can we, you know, how can we bring this experience into your life in a way that's not only meaningful but also healing? So I think there are two pieces that are easy for me to miss, as like a fairly progressive younger person in funeral service. Oh, I mean, absolutely. And, and I think that a piece of that is younger generations also understanding like who, who they're planning the funeral for what they would want. Right. Right. So I, my, my grandparents are basically like they raised me and I will have a hand along with my sister and aunt in planning their funeral and they want something really traditional and that's them. and, And that's what we will want for them. But maybe people who are my age, their parents are something different. So when we're looking at the scope of like 50 years from now, not like 10 years from now. But I think also actually your experience has a lot for funeral directors to learn. You are saying to me right now, my grandparents are traditional people. I want to make sure to honor them. But the way that I will remember them after the funeral service is going to be different than that funeral service itself. Like there's a spot where a good funeral director would go, oh, okay, let's think of something that's meaningful and special for you because it sounds like this funeral Mm -hmm. service is not going to be the thing that does it for you. Um, So there's a spot right there. Yeah. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's great. Training, (laughs) like free training. (laughs) (laughs) First one's free. (laughs) Cool. Um, And so another thing I think that's obviously shifting in the funeral industry is technology. And... Maggie, I know a part of your company has really embraced that and it's and it's only going to get more integrated. And there's kind of 
there's kind of a the discussion is usually you know are all families going to be planning online like is that the new funeral home like funeral homes are going away and we're only planning via the internet no but we already know how to plan in person right. so right <laughs> yeah. right and and i don't i don't think that's the case i think it's a specific consumer and the question that kind of remains to be answered is how big is that market like how many consumers how many families are going to want to plan primarily online and how many are going to want to come in still my personal opinion is we're going to end up in some kind of hybrid model ultimately for for all funeral homes but i'm wondering you know you were at the front of this trend of online planning what how have you seen it evolve just since you've been since you've been offering this so i i thought you were going to ask the question like what should we do to make all funeral homes get online and my answer was going to be like well what is the cost to that it's essentially free to get on like if you have a in-person presence you should have an online presence because it essentially costs you nothing and you can then capture that other sort totally of market agree. share that you're talking about that was not the question that you asked so i'll answer the question that you asked which was how have i seen it change in the last sort of eight years i think the biggest change has come in the pandemic so the biggest change has come as families are not able to get to that funeral home that they want to go to and i think for a lot of funeral homes who are maybe sort of dragging their feet on technology or going like, hey, this is something we should look into, but also, you know, we're overwhelmed with the day-to-day operations. The pandemic was the thing that went like, oh boy, we got to get online or we're going to miss out on a huge piece of market share because, you know, if someone passes away in town A, their next of kin is probably in state C. How are they going to find us if they can't fly in because there's travel restrictions? So I think that has probably been the biggest lesson teacher in the last eight years, even though I've seen it shifting more toward technology, I've seen a lot of practitioners say basically, you know, I'm keeping all this information in my head and it's like, well, actually there's a program that can do that for you so that you can use your time a little more valuably. Nothing like a a pandemic to sort of make you grab on and really embrace technology. Yeah. And what are the technologies that you think have been most embraced or most brought to the forefront of every of the death care professionals thoughts? over the last 18 months? Speaking as a traditional funeral home, I think streaming has had a pretty interesting moment in this pandemic. I think being able to have people interact from a distance while a funeral service is going on has been probably the biggest change that I've seen in those traditional funeral homes. For um, our crematories, the biggest thing that's been important is getting paperwork online, getting crematory schedules set in advance, you know, checking that day before so that your operator basically, you know, let's say you've got two machines and 14 cremations, your operator, all they have to do is focus on, you know, the last check of the paperwork, depending on what state you're in, maybe pulling that tag and then performing those cremations. But you can have the technology do a lot of that work for you in advance. Um, We sort of leveraged, so we cover a wide swath of Southern California, So we sort of realized that we had to have our logistics be better managed with technology. I'll say in the last year, I've not been in as close of communication with other funeral homes because I've just been so focused on keeping our heads above water. But I would imagine that a lot of funeral homes had kind of the same the same lessons to learn. And then the last thing that I think that you mentioned would be or that we mentioned, I guess, that would be the mental health aspect of of families that have that has really come into focus over the last 18 months since COVID, not only in funeral care, but just 
general mental health became something that everyone's talking about, which I don't think was the case before. And I think that very much applies to the funeral space. And I'm, I'm wondering what, if any, movement do you see in the funeral industry to better support the mental health of the families that, that we work with? So I think actually the biggest change that I've seen is supporting the mental health of the funeral directors themselves, um, which is not, again, not the question you asked. But I think for so long, talking about mental health in your workplace as a funeral professional has been kind of this unspoken taboo in the same way that like a first responder or you know a police officer, like there are professions where we sort of go like stuff it in your box, put it away, be really strong for other people. And I've seen in the last year, a lot of movement mm-hmm. to, yes, we have a job to do. Of course we can't, we have to make sure we're here to serve these families, but talking about it and talking about particular families that, you know, really break your heart or, you know, really treated you poorly or whatever the situation is, I think has become more common. And that I think has been a really positive move for our profession. In what forms does that come in? Is that Are you talking like having mental health included on insurance or is it uh, like a more open communication with colleagues in the workplace or what form does that support come in? So I would say the way that I've seen it more is more open discussion about what's happening. And I think you see it concurrently with kind of the, the movement publicly, right? Like people are talking about compassion fatigue. People are talking about being touched out. Mm-hmm. People are talking about um, the exhaustion that the last year has put on them. And then with coworkers and employees, it's sort of easy to go. Yeah. And on top of all of that, we feel like we've been supporting healthcare systems. We feel like we've been, you know, supporting other people while we're watching our own families drown. And even though that may be an exaggeration, it's just that conversation I don't think would have happened five or 10 years ago. And the fact that like, I'm hearing it happen, I'm seeing it happen, I'm seeing it happen at places that are not just our funeral home, I think is really heartening for me. And I just wanted to add, and this might be kind of just a dovetail from the mental health, what the industry is doing for the families. I've noticed a real uptick in interest in working with death doulas in funeral homes. Someone who is trained specifically to help a person who is either dying or has just experienced a death of a loved one through that grief and mourning process. And there was recently a really good article on Kana's blog about working with death doulas and how they're not competing with funeral directors. They're a different piece of the puzzle for supporting a family. And so I think that's something that funeral homes could do that would be really helpful for the mental health, not only of their own staff, but also the families, because that simultaneously could relieve some compassion fatigue uh, of the funeral director being the only one to solely take on all the grief that the family's experiencing and also give the family support from a professional that's specifically trained in those areas. Yeah, I think that the death doulas you will see become a far more integral part of the living to dying process. I think they really beautifully bridge sort of hospice care end of life to funeral home. Um, There are a lot of gaps in end of life situations to funeral homes. I think what usually happens with trends in the funeral space is you need an early adopter and you need someone to say, hey, this is a really good idea. I think you're starting to see that with funeral homes right now. 
I think as I'm speaking very generically now for funeral homes, not for us specifically, but I think in funeral homes, the reason we're so resistant to change is if something goes wrong, you have to stand in front of that family and you have to apologize for something that either you did or someone on your team did. And that's a really painful experience. So we're kind of inherently resistant to change, which is not a good thing, but I understand where it comes from. I think you will see, I think people who are entering the field as death doulas are very interested in serving families in ways that are meaningful for them. And I think as funeral homes start to see that and start to sort of go like, oh, well, one, like you said, this is not competition. Two, like this is a great way to get families who are in a space where the death is a, I don't want to say a positive experience, but like it was a good death, whatever that looks like. I think that that bridge and that sort of partnership will be more solidified. It may be regional. It may be, you know, kind of case by case with funeral homes. But I think you bring up a really good example of a place where funeral directors could look for outside help to one, ease their burden and two, help families in a really important way. And do do funeral homes currently, you know, do they feel like they're competing with death doulas or they, do they feel threatened by death doulas right now? Or like what, what's that typical relationship like? So I'll say I actually don't have a lot of experience with death doulas. To my knowledge, I'm sure there are some in my area, so I shouldn't say there are none in my area, but I have not ever actually worked directly with a death doula. I would imagine that I can't, I, I just can't think of a situation where a death doula would necessarily be a threat to a funeral home. Like, I would put them in the same camp as sort of a hospice organization, right? Like, this is a person who is touching the family and making a meaningful connection before the death occurs. How could this not be someone that I want to bear hug and work with for a very long time? Um, so I, I don't really know that I have a good answer for you, but I can't see a world where they where they would not be a really important ally. Cool. Thanks so much, Maggie. It was, it's always really great to talk to you, and it was so great having you on uh, to hear your insights today. This production is brought to you by Parting Stone, who wants to remind you that when your families choose cremation, they don't have to receive cremated.